Our service doesn't end after we leave the military. The mission changes, but we still find the need to be of service. What's yours? Listen in as we talk to our guests about their military careers and life after the uniform in their second service. This podcast is sponsored by Fortis et Fidelis, a brand dedicated to honoring the brave and faithful. Make sure to check out fortis-fidelis.com and support the podcast by subscribing to the show and leaving us a five-star review on all the podcast platforms. Now, let's get to the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Faithful podcast. Uh, today, I have another Navy veteran. He is a writer for Bunker Labs, uh, Keith Kappel. Make sure I got that right, Kappel. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. Awesome, Keith. Hey, man, uh, thanks for, for taking the time. And, and uh, you know, before we get to talking about uh, Bunker Labs and, and what you're doing with them, uh, I didn't mention you're a Navy veteran. Can you just share with our audience a little bit about your military background? Yeah, sure. So I was a Naval Intelligence Specialist for four years with the United States Navy, active duty from uh, December of 97 until uh, 10 September 2001. So my EOS was literally 24 hours before 9-11. I served uh, first, I was at Naval Space Command, which is doesn't exist anymore in the form it used to, but we used to be like a backup center for uh, Cheyenne Mountain, uh, the Peterson Air Force Base guys, U.S. Space Command uh, Air Force. So we used to do uh, backup mission stuff for them. Uh, I'm sure Space Force has all of that now. Yeah, I was um, going to say. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the much maligned Space Force. But uh, uh, yeah, so I did that for half my enlistment, and then they sent me to the uh, USS Theodore Roosevelt, CVN-71, so I was an aircraft carrier Intel shop guy for a little while, and I uh, uh, did through a workup cycle with them. Uh, it was like, I think I reported to the ship right after they got back from uh, supporting Kosovo uh, military efforts. And then, uh, um, like I said, I, I left the ship right before 9-11 and we were next up. So it was the Roosevelt that was in like New York City on the 12th or the 13th. And then we were, you know, first into the breach, as it were, uh, at least as far as the Navy goes, first into the breach, uh, you know, uh, in Afghanistan after that. But I didn't participate in any of that because I was at home uh, uh, launching a bartending career and uh, uh, being the bar's best customer as well. So, <laughs> so uh, where was where was home for you? So as you might detect from the incredible nasal tones that I'm giving you here uh, on the show, I am from Chicago. Okay. So I sound like uh, an exiled blues brother or something like that. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm from the burbs of Chicago, actually, Addison. But I, I've been living in the city now for 11, 12 years, something like that. Okay. So, you know, uh, you mentioned that you, your last day was like September 10th, 2001, right before 9-11. Like, how was that? I mean, you know, you had gone out, I mean, within 24 hours or so, right? Like, that was your last day. What was, what was like the feeling like when, you know, 9-11 hit? It was crazy. Uh, I mean, it, it was my last day on paper, but I, I had taken terminal leave. So I was actually home, I want to say like September 1st. Okay. But I was still on kind of like an Intel guy schedule. So it was like, 
you wake up, you turn CNN on in the background to listen to what's going on in the world. And uh, um, you're sort of clicking through news stories because you just, it's just part of like that routine of staying plugged in to like the global sort of situation. Um, so I was very like alert and aware when the first plane hit and it's first started getting reported on and uh, didn't think anything of it. And then that second plane hit and right away, like I was just reading reports, like not long before that, you know, like two weeks ago, I was reading like up-to-date reports on stuff. And uh, uh, so a lot of stuff that has since come out uh, about that, that day where you had like stories about guys crossing uh, the Canadian border and, stories about uh, like Saudi nationals uh, training and plane flights. Like a lot of these stories were reports that I had definitely like come across so, during, yeah. during my time. But like, as soon as the second plane hit, like instantly stuff starts puzzling together and you're like up, oh, like almost certainly bin Laden, almost cert- like X, Y, and Z, like that moment in the usual suspects when the guy's dropping the coffee cup and like, you could tell he's the light bulbs going off. Yeah. Like it kind of felt like that, but like, you know, a really horrifying version of that. Uh, cause it was just terrible, but, uh, uh, yeah, it sort of like just sat there staring at my phone for probably close to two weeks. I don't think I really left my room. I just had the news on, I was learning stuff on the internet, which was a much different place in 2001, uh, as far as like news and reporting and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and yeah, just waiting for my phone to ring. Cause I assumed how could they not call me back? Right. Uh, which they did not. Uh, it turns out my, the Intel shop on the Theodore Roosevelt, at least this is the story I got, you know, maybe a, a year after the guys got back from deployment, uh, was the Intel shop was overmanned. We had like 45 dudes were only billeted for like 30. Uh, so they, they couldn't justify it to command or whatever. I don't know that I really wanted to come back. You know, there's definitely, uh, I think a lot of veterans who got out just before 9-11 are of two minds about how they probably felt sitting on the sidelines while all that was going on. Um, Cause I think there's part of you that says, well, this is the kind of stuff that I joined for. Like, this is where I'm supposed to really serve and do my thing. Uh, and, and I trained for this. So I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And, right. and I want to show that, you know, I was well-trained and I can do it. So there's that part of your brain and it's fighting with the other part of your brain. That's like, do I really want to sweat for nine months and, you know, the Arabian Gulf while we're blowing up, a bunch of people with you know airstrikes and stuff and and like no no nobody i don't think anybody should want to go do that that's that's a little concerning but uh uh unless you know it absolutely has to be done so yeah it was just it was a very conflicted time for me and there was probably more time than there should have been spent out uh at the bars trying not to think about it after the first couple of weeks went by but uh uh yeah, it was intense, man. It was a, it was a, I mean, obviously not nearly as intense as the people who are out there engaging in operations, but, uh, uh, but it was as transitions go, it wasn't, uh, the cleanest break or the, the easiest one sort of psychologically to, to work my way through, I would say. So is it fair to say that you had some sort of like conflict within, you know, like mentally, like, yeah, I mean, that, that time these other sailors that I had grown so close to like real dear friends, you know, obviously as a veteran, you know how that is. Like these are dudes who are out there now doing it and I'm not there with them. And, uh, um, and yeah, that's, that's not, it's not a great feeling to have. Right. Um, I mean, I was lucky that uh, 
at least no one I knew personally was lost either in the attack or uh, among my friends I served with during operations. So I, I don't have like that sort of survivor's guilt level of thing happening, but uh, I, I know a lot of other veterans do. I, I probably have like the, the Diet Coke version of that, where it's just like, I felt bad that I was at home uh, while they all worked. But also I was very glad I was home at the same time. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, uh, after you got out, you worked at the bar, you're a bartender. Uh, yeah. So how long, how long did you, um, you know, how long did you do that for? And like, what kind of led you into what you're doing now as a writer and with Bunker Labs? Yeah. So um, my mom was, I moved back home right after I got out. I was only like 22, 23. And I had gotten an education early out. So I was supposed to be in school and I was for like three semesters. Uh, and then I was getting close to my associates and it comes to that point where it's like, all right, it's time to make the next choice with what you're going to do. And I didn't really have a, a direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my, my mom uh, said to me, she's like, well, you spend all your time at the bar anyway. You might as well at least get paid while you're there instead of blowing all the money you separated with. I was like, all right. So uh, I kind of just on a whim applied to bartend. And luckily, the, the owner of that first bar I worked at was a fellow Navy veteran from many, many years before me. Mm. And uh, so he hired me and I worked full time behind that bar, a little golf course clubhouse bar for probably eight or nine years uh, until I broke my leg playing a paintball with some buddies. So mm. we were <laughs> we were out in the woods shooting paintballs and uh, uh I uh, uh, was running and my leg got caught under a root, a spiral fracture of uh, uh, either my tibia or my fibia, one of them. And uh, I was laid up and you can't bartend with a broken leg. It's not an easy thing to do. And uh, um, you can't, uh, there's not really like workman's comp or, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, any of these sort of insurance plans that were going to help me out at the time. I certainly didn't, you know, I thought I was invincible. I didn't think anything would break. Um so I didn't have a lot of options to keep like paying rent by then I moved on my own. Uh, and so one idea was like, oh, I never really burned through my GI bill or went to school. I should do that before it runs out and just use that money to like pay rent. So this was my like genius plan, right? Where it's just like, screw it. I'll use my GI bill to pay rent. It'll be great. Uh, and I figured like, if I'm just going to school to pay rent anyway, and then I'll go back to my you know, life as a bartender after the fact, I'm going to go and do something that I actually enjoy doing, something that I like. And one of the hobbies I had at the time was, was writing. I was doing a lot of uh, uh, short story writing and writing in sort of like the, the fan community for uh, tabletop games, which are like Dungeons and Dragons kind of stuff that you might have seen in like uh, if you watch Stranger Things or anything like that. So these, these like book and dice, these real geeky like games. I was writing a lot of like fan content, fan comic books, uh, fan short stories of uh, um, a lot of stuff in the Star Wars. That was what me and my nerdy friends were into at the time. So uh, uh, was this during like your bartending while you were? Yeah, working? yeah. It was just okay. like the side, like it was a, the time before side hustles in a lot of yeah. ways. But But it was like a fan thing that we all did together as a way to sort of just revel in our sort of nerdiness geekiness and uh uh you know it was uh the guy who worked at naval space command is the big star wars nerd so i guess that makes sense right <laughs> uh, but yeah i was just sort of doing that for fun on the side but uh, you know it was fun for me so i was like i'll go to school for this and i'll get better and then you know may maybe i'll 
do something with, with it later, or maybe I won't and I'll just be better at it. And that's good enough for me too. Cause at least this I'll show up to class, at least this I'll be engaged cause I want to get better at it. So, um, I did that and I transferred to uh, Columbia College Chicago here in the city. Uh, and uh, they had an excellent, excellent writing program at the time. And uh, um, it turned out like, I mean, I was the oldest guy in most of my classes at 30. It was a lot of like 19 year olds. And I was real intimidated on that first day because you assume like everybody's going to be like this 19 year old writing prodigy or, you know what I mean? That like really knows what they're yeah. doing. And I'm like making geeky stories about Mace Windu, like, how does how's that gonna go like probably not well but you know uh gave it my best effort and it turned out i was okay at it i was pretty good i participated i had learned the hard way through all this sort of geeky stuff i was doing a lot of the early lessons so i was able to sort of stay ahead of a lot of my classmates because i had learned a lot of stuff the hard way um already so uh i went through the school program uh because of the geeky stuff i was doing a good buddy of mine who uh, wrote for like the official Star Wars, like Dungeons and Dragons type of game. He said that there was an open call coming up and I should apply for it because, you know, I've been doing this for so long. Now I have a writing degree. So I applied for this job and an open call. And, uh, um, you know, I, they asked me to do some writing on official Star Wars stuff, uh, like maybe within a year of graduating from college. Uh, so I got like my first break in the industry it was working on Star Wars, which was like, my mind was blown. I was kind of running around the house like a crazy person, as you can imagine, because that, that's not supposed to happen <laughs> at all, let alone like on your first uh, uh, sort of application, right? Uh, so it's like your not dream job. job. Yeah, like for yeah. job one. And that's, that's not the job market of today, for sure. But I was real lucky, capitalized on it. And I've done probably, I've contributed to something like 25 different projects from the now for them now as a writer uh i'm still i'm actually working on something right now it's not star wars but uh uh it's for one of their other game systems uh so that keeps me pretty busy um unfortunately during the pandemic um a lot of publishing got hit very hard by the pandemic uh a lot of our printing gets done overseas in china and uh there were a lot of logistical problems just getting stuff back and forth throughout the pandemic and yeah. Uh, paper supply has been a real problem uh, and paper costs have just been shooting up through the roof. And a lot of these companies I work for, their, their profit margins are very, very thin. They just can't afford to be in business while conditions are this way. They just can't. So there hasn't been a lot of work for me uh, the past couple of years. And as my savings was starting to dwindle down, I was like, man, I better, I better do something. It's not like I could break my leg and go back to school again. That plan won't work a second time. I mean, I have another leg, but I just don't have an HGI bill left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was like, I better come up with a new plan and uh, started looking around at what the job market looked like uh, and who wanted someone with a writing degree that had worked on, you know, some stuff like the Star Wars properties. And uh, um, I was real lucky that I found Bunker Labs because uh, it's a nonprofit organization for those that don't know that that helps veterans launch and uh, launch startups, small businesses and stuff like that. So it's something that I can work for and work on and not feel guilty afterwards. Uh, like a lot, a weird amount of the writing work I found was for uh, law offices, many of them representing like these giant funds that pay out for like, oh, you know, the 3M, uh, you know, how you see the commercials for 3M and the hearing loss 
for guys that served. And it's like, yeah. oh, there's this big pile of money, $4.5 billion or whatever has been allocated by the government or whatever that they have to pay out to victims. So like they have people whose job it is to, to make sure that not everybody gets money, I guess, ultimately at the end of the day, I'm sure there's a good reason for some of it. Like you don't want people taking advantage and taking money they don't qualify for, but like some of it felt a little skeezy. And I, I was just real glad to find Bunker Labs because I was like, here's something I could like tell people I do and be proud that I do it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the long, long, long story of how I found Bunker Labs. Uh, did you did you apply or something or did somebody mention it to you or yeah it was actually it was just like it's a funny story uh, um it was a glass store posting is what it ended up being but like the way job seeking works on the internet right now is like you try to be real selective for like the first couple of days of doing it and then you don't really get a result from that so inevitably what happens within a short period of time is you just start like bulk clicking one click apply on like anything that looks vaguely like it fits what you're going to do. And then you sort of wait to see who comes back. And of those, you'd be picky about who you respond to. So like, that's not the way it's probably supposed to be working, but that's the only real approach for the end user at the moment, in my view, not just for Glassdoor, this is how all of them seem to be. I was on like five different sites sort of clicking around uh, for an hour or two a day. And uh, um, this was one that came back and it came back, the, the fellow who was gonna interview me, Chris Franks, who used to be, uh, he was our marketing director. He still, uh, still works with Bunker Labs through his own marketing company called uh, uh, Clever Funnel. So all of his email and stuff is for his company. Like it's branded Clever Funnel. So I literally thought I was going into a job applying for this Clever Funnel company to be like a marketing writer, work from home, sort of situation and like five minutes into the interview uh it became clear like they were asking a lot of questions about my veteran status and stuff like that and i was like why uh he's like well you know it's for bunker labs and you know that's who they serve that's uh that's who they work with and i was like what i thought this was for clever funnel because like i you know you research before an interview you try to have some questions to ask them and all all my questions were about clever funnel i was like oh man you're gonna laugh at me but here's what happened and, you know, uh, Chris Franks, who's a wonderful human being, thought it was hilarious. And, uh, but yeah, I went through like five other interviews or something like some crazy amount of interviews over the course of like a month after that, before they were finally like, yes, you're going to join the team October 1st, if you want. So just last year, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just been like, what, five months, I think, yeah. something like that. So, so it's been great. So. Want to support an active duty owned brand? Head over to fortis-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortis-fidelis.com. And help us in honoring the brave and faithful service of our nation's defenders. All proceeds will help us create and provide memorial coins to the families of our fallen service members. Again, that's fortis-fidelis.com. And help Fortis Fidelis and honoring the brave and faithful. So with, you know, the limit, the short amount of time you've been working there, like, uh, can you share a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you've wrote, some of the pieces you wrote or articles or whatnot? And Yeah. So we're trying, uh, a big part of my responsibility there is to get like the bunker blog going. Um, so I've written, there's probably, excuse me, 
there's been a lot of like backend stuff that's had to happen. There's been like a new website upgrade recently since I started working there. And uh, uh, a lot of other like uh, just backend update stuff, a lot of turnover in the marketing department. We have a new like marketing director. Um, so a lot changed and things aren't moving quite as quick as I would have liked for them to, but we're on a roll now. Uh, so the first sort of real month where we started having regular content was just this past February. And uh, um, we had uh, uh, we have a, a series on pitching, how to refine like your business pitch. Mm. Uh, so that's going to be a four part uh, blog series. We have, I think the second part is going up uh, this week at some point, but the first part's already up there pitching 101. Um, we've done some entrepreneur spotlights where we take someone like yourself who's been in the the Bunker Labs ecosystem, and we sort of just do a nice write-up on them, uh, explain what their business is, where the idea for it came from, what the genesis of the business looked like, uh, how they found Bunker, what Bunker did for them, and how things are going now, now that they've they've sort of moved on from uh, one of our programs like Veterans in Residence or CEO Circle or something like that. Um, so we've done a few of those. We did one on Beth Finbo, who has the... Uh, busy baby playmat. She was on uh, uh, shark tank and famously like walked away from a huge offer from them. Uh, we've done one for Mike Sezu who does uh Sanger rum. It's a, a Liberian uh, a West African rum mm. that is just now he's starting to get it imported into the United States through Texas, but uh, 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 he's a very interesting fellow. And then we have a new one coming very soon about uh, a group called backpacks for life. And uh, um, they hand out uh, backpacks full of uh, uh, essentials to homeless veterans. So mm. it's, they're a great organization as well. Um, and these are all people who have come up through the Bunker Lab system and sort of uh, uh, found it. I mean, it's not, they don't have to have found success for us to spotlight them. I feel like there's a lot to learn from people who uh, struggle after the fact as well. But, but these first few have been people who uh, uh, have really found success after their time at Bunker Labs. What would you say, um, Keith, has been some of your rewarding moments? And, you know, obviously you haven't worked with Bunker that long, but what would you say have been some of the rewarding moments you've had so far with, uh, with Bunker Labs? So Bunker is, I think, at its core, it's like an event-based sort of organization that there's, there's stuff going on, like all the time, it seems. So, uh, I tend to mostly be a work from home kind of guy. I'm not uh, the most social person that most people have ever met, but uh, uh, I've been to a couple of these bunker events already. And those have all been eye-opening for me and just very interesting to meet uh, the people, fellow veterans and hear about, you know, the, this dream that they might have this business they're trying to launch uh, and how that's going for them. And it gives me a lot of perspective uh, when I sit down to write about like who, not just who my audience is, but like who I'm potentially helping by writing something or potentially hurting if I don't treat it with uh, the care it deserves. So I, I feel like that's been uh, a really big rewarding experience. There's also one piece we recently put out. Uh, it was part of the, the marketing uh, department, sort of like overall Black History Month push. And I did this great historical article well, I'm saying it's great, right? But uh, uh, I did this long historical article, we'll say that, that's factual. Um, and it, it talks about the lives of, of two men, uh, James Fortin and uh, uh, George Knox. And James Fortin was uh, is a black man, he was a, a free black man sailmaker 
in Philadelphia during the Revolutionary War, owned a sailmaking business and was one of the richest men in Philadelphia mm. uh, during the, the Revolutionary or well, after the Revolutionary War. But at 14 years old, he was like a powder boy on a privateer ship during the Revolutionary War. He's a POW for nine months and one of the, the most uh, uh, deadly prison ships like during the conflict. Uh, had an amazing life and uh, he was somebody I had never heard of and and I uh, I was willing to bet that a lot of my fellow veterans hadn't heard of uh, James Fortin either and then uh, um, George Knox was born um, a slave during the right before the Civil War and uh, um, he was actually forced into service for the South escaped fought for the North uh, uh, left Nashville where where he was from and went to Indiana and launched this like barbershop empire throughout Indianapolis uh, that grew into like a publishing empire. And, uh, you know, all these other like sort of side businesses just kept opening up. Uh, he like owned local baseball teams. It was wild. Well, what this George was after Jackson, the Civil War. After the Civil War in Indiana. Uh, so he also had an incredible life. And I think one of the most rewarding experiences thus far working at Bunker Labs was just the process of, of researching this article, learning about these men uh, well enough to, to be able to write about them with uh, you know, some measure of factual honesty and all that. So uh, I think that was, that was really great to get that done and get that put out. Um, we're planning to do more historical sort of deep dives like that and uh, figures from uh, a while ago that um, I think a lot of veterans, especially veterans of, of color or female veterans might not have like a lot of heroes that look like them that they could look back to in history that have been very well publicized. So I, I feel like that's, that's a lane that me is, is a white dude. Like I feel okay about researching history and regurgitating it uh, and trying to find as much you know, uh, intellectual honesty as I can in it versus like telling people how to feel about it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, cause I think some of these, these holidays, like you see a lot of companies try to like do something for like a black history month or a women's history month or Asian American Pacific and Islander month or something like that, just to be inclusive, which I think is a good instinct always. But, uh, uh I feel like we've seen it go wrong a lot, a lot of times. Uh, and I, I feel like, uh, um, yeah, me is, is a white man. Like I need to probably be aware while I'm doing this stuff. That, that there's a, um, it could go wrong if I don't give it the due respect and due diligence and all that. But I'm real proud of how this, this first history article came out. Yeah. Those are two uh, definitely people that, you know, we'd have to look up to Cause like you said, uh, two people uh, haven't really been known, right? Like um, especially us within the veteran community. So, right. Like it's easy for me to be like, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, Alexander Hamilton or whatever, like I could find a lot of founding fathers that right. have the same face I do uh, and open up businesses or whatever, but finding uh, uh, veteran entrepreneurs that, that aren't just white dudes, like it's more of a challenge, right. uh, especially the further back in history you go, but it turns out there's tons. It's just these stories never, at least they never got told to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, and granted, you know, I grew up in the suburbs in a semi-affluent neighborhood, uh, and, and, uh, who knows who was deciding what we were learning in school back then, but, uh, uh, you know, they, it wasn't part of my curriculum to learn about James Fortin or George Levi Knox. So I feel like everybody should know those things. Right. Right. 
So Keith, you know, for those who might not be familiar with, with Bunker Labs, can you just um, kind of maybe, you know, go over quickly, like some of the programs they offer and some of the services that Bunker Labs provides? A- absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, Bunker Labs is a 501c3, I'm pretty sure I'm getting that right, nonprofit. It's a nonprofit. That's the important part. Right. <laughs> And what they do is they, uh, they help veterans launch and found businesses, like their own ventures. So the way we do that is we have three primary programs. We have the Veterans in Residence Program, the Ambassador Program, the hiccups today, I don't know why, and uh, CEO Circle. So uh, Veterans in Residence is like this six-month-long incubator program that uh, helps people really get from, I'm about to launch my business, or I just launched my business, to like, I have customers now. And uh, um, so it's really built to sort of fill that sort of gap. Then we have CEO circle, which is for people who have like crazy success already. They have like millions of dollars in revenue per year and stuff like that. And it's a place for them to sort of be able to get together and, you know, have iron sharpen iron and all that uh, where they can, you know, network together and uh, uh, challenge each other. And then we have the ambassador program, which is our volunteer program. Um, that's focused a lot on facilitating that veterans and residents program because it's like a local cohort across the country. So you'll have like groups of 10 veterans uh, that are all running businesses in the same city or the same little geographical region. So our ambassadors are volunteers. They volunteer for one year and uh, um, they'll help facilitate and run the veterans and residents, but they'll also sort of help just build the, uh, the local sort of veteran business or military connected a business ecosystem. So they'll, uh, um, they'll help host some events, summit or uh, showcase is one of the big events that comes twice a year now, uh, where we, we sort of show off what some of the program participants are doing. And the ambassadors are sort of like the, the hosts that throw, uh, like, I think it's like 26, 27 of these parties nationwide, mm. at the same time, same night, uh, twice a year now. So uh, um, yeah, Bunker Lives does all those things and more. We have several other programs, or not programs, but uh, uh, we have those three programs. Then we have like four other initiatives, uh, like Launch Lab Online, which is sort of a, a feeder to veterans and residents. It's a great program. Uh, uh, it's like an online course that'll sort of help you organize your idea into a business right. uh, and get you going. We have Breaking Barriers in Entrepreneurship, which is uh, uh, a course, uh, a workshop sort of targeted at uh, people who don't look like me, again, it's to help sort of bridge that uh, uh, sort of hurdle that barrier that uh, sort of prevents a lot of people of color and women from uh, um, getting as far as in business as, as guys like me do as often as we do. Um, so there's that program, which is excellent, run by Renee Bob, who herself is an inspiration. Yeah, I just uh, had, her on the sh- had her on the podcast, too. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. great. She's great, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a few other things in there. There's like a USA finance course to help you sort of organize, uh, uh, your, your finances around your business. And then, uh, um, there's probably one or two I'm missing. I'm going to get in trouble, but, uh, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of programs, courses and stuff to do. We also have the newly launched bunker online, which is our own sort of, uh, which is where we were actually, uh, talking earlier. Um, and that's a, a new online sort of community that anyone can join. Right. Uh, where you can access a lot of this, these educational resources and uh, uh, learn about when these program application windows are coming and uh, uh, get involved, you know, and, and just talk to people who are part of the ecosystem. 
that are probably a lot like you if you're a veteran and you're running a business. Uh, but you can find all that at bunkerlabs.org. So a uh, question, Keith, with the, uh, you mentioned the Veterans in Residence program is six months long. Is that something like if somebody, you know, somebody transitioning out can apply for and with the skill bridge or like, how does that Yeah, work? I'll be honest with you. I want to say we might have uh, the occasional like active duty participant. It's rare because it's just, you know, the time commitment isn't necessarily, yeah. uh, but, but it's happened. Uh, so if you're interested and you know, this is what you want to do when you separate or it's something you're putting together now, even before you separate, uh, just because you're still active duty doesn't mean you can't do it. You might also have a business partner and you just have them sort of go through right. it on your behalf uh, or a spouse. We have lots of military spouses in the program. It's not all firsthand experienced veterans. Uh, so maybe you have a spouse that's working on the business with you and they could attend. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely something for people. In fact, we have a podcast called the Transition Podcast as well. Uh, that's, you know, the Bunker Labs official podcast. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, I think we're very friendly to people who are just transitioning. They're in early stage ideation phase entrepreneurship. So, yeah. So for our listeners and for those who will be watching this of yours, you know, just make sure you guys are taking notes with what Keith was saying. And obviously um, if you're interested reach out to uh, Bunker Labs, uh, go to the website and, and reach out. Um, gorgeous new website yeah <laughs> uh, keith before we go to the second segment of the podcast you know what's one thing you want our listeners our viewers to take away from this episode uh yeah that's a crazy question i think uh i just want to know that bunker labs is here if if they're a veteran or a military spouse and they're thinking about launching a business there's a ton of resources for them out there bunker labs has a bunch uh, there's more than that as well, but you don't have to do it on your own. I know that can often be our mindset to just right. be like, I'm going to do this my way and I'm just going to go, I'm just going to do it. Um, which I, I think is, is a very useful skill to have. Uh, and it's one of our strengths, but it can also sometimes, uh, slow us down or hold us back when we're not willing to ask for just to see what help is available, uh, desperate to, to help you. So. Yeah, great, great point, Keith. I think that's uh, one of the detri detriments, right? Like we, we, we always feel like we can try to handle everything ourselves. When you know. I think there's a trust factor too, right? Where it's just like uh, when you separate, there can be, you could learn pretty quick that civilians aren't always trustworthy the same way that the people you serve with are. Certainly not to the same depth and certainly not as quickly. And that can sometimes make you distrustful of, of people in general. So yeah. you just start to get more and more into that little self-reliance silo. And that ultimately is going to limit your options, I think, in most cases versus, uh, you know, being willing to be heard again, uh, you know, reaching out and, tr you know, trying to trust people or trust, but verify might work better for some of you. Yeah. But. Great point, man. Um, so Keith, going to the second segment, this is what I call the fast five. Oh this boy. Same five questions I ask all my guests. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Keith. So first question, what's one hobby you enjoy? I mean, I should just say writing, right? But now I do that. <laughs> I get paid to do that now, so it doesn't count. Uh, so I'm going to say the one thing I do that I don't get paid to do. I play a lot of video games. I play 
Call of Duty like crazy. And I know that sounds probably lame, but uh, the thing I'll add is that uh, it's one of the ways I can I can keep in touch with a lot of old friends, like over the voice chat while we're shooting at people. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's a veteran thing. Maybe it's a me thing, but I'm not one to really pick up the phone and call people. I'm not one to really answer my phone. Should it ring either? I'm not a telephone person, but I will sit there with a buddy for like three hours during call of duty and we'll sort of catch up then. Uh, so I play a lot of video games, but a lot of it is like, that's, there's, there's a lot of socialization and keeping up that happens there. So check out Keith on Call of Duty. <laughs> What's Definitely. your, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? What do, you, what do they say? My gamer handle? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, Cap, K-A-P-P-1138. I'm on Xbox. Although on Call of Duty, I think it does, does all the cross-platform stuff now. Yeah, I'm on there quite a bit, a couple nights a week at least. <laughs> I'm not particularly good. My KD... They're all elevated in uh, uh, this latest version, Vanguard, this World War II one. But my kill death is currently, it's like 1.16 or something something around there. So I'm either assisting or killing somebody a little bit more often than I'm dying. But uh, uh, probably not the best battle buddy on Call of Duty that way, for sure. If you're trying to pump your numbers up, you don't want to play with me. I don't even know. Is that good or bad? Or is that it's, 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 it's between. I mean, if the game's working right, everybody should be like great right at 1.0 because it should be putting you against opponents that are about as good as you are right yeah, yeah. so like it okay. should all average out to 1.0 but I, I don't think they're there yet on that technology <laughs> maybe one day um so keith next question if you had to choose one person to hang out with for one day who would it be and why so um i think uh ernest hemingway or truman capote they're both uh writing heroes of mine these are two of the early figures that were uh, part of this movement in, in the literary world to make writing more accessible to more people. Basically, they were both um, they were both trained to write like journalists, and they went ahead and wrote like fiction and creative nonfiction, respectively. But they brought that journalism sen uh, sensibility to their writing, which is very like just keep giving me the facts. Don't try like writing a poem in the middle of your story or whatever. Just yeah. keep delivering what happened next. Uh, and, you know, like the who, what, where, when, why sort of stuff. Uh, so it was like it read uh, sparse compared to a lot of the more flowery sort of adjective laden prose of the day. Um, and it was a big sea change in like the 1950s. Uh, and uh, uh, so I've always sort of I'm not going to say modeled myself after them because neither one of those guys led very healthy personal lives. But uh, uh, but their writing, um, I've always sort of respected and looked looked at is like. I'd rather sound like that. That's kind of what I want to go to instead of like a Faulkner or somebody like that. So either of those guys, I think it would be fascinating to just uh, uh, shadow them for a day, uh, experience their process in motion, like as they're writing, see what they're doing and, you know, quiz them a little bit over a few cocktails, probably about, uh, you know, some burning writing questions I might have in the moment. Yeah, what a day that would be if all be Ernest Hemingway or I don't think my liver or... can keep up with either of them, to be entirely honest with you. Yeah, but yeah. uh uh but you know, no, I'd give it the, the best navy try I could. <laughs> Next question, Keith. Recommend a book for our audience to read. Yeah, so I have two. I think uh I mean veterans to some extent were not the best communicators and uh, uh veteran entrepreneurs who I've just been dealing with for five months. I'll tell this to you with love. You all could learn to write a little bit better. 
so there's two books I would read to become a better writer. I think it helps you in every aspect of your professional life anyway. So it's worth doing. But there's Stephen King's On Writing, which is fantastic. And there's also uh, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, which especially has a, uh, uh, a short uh, uh, essay in there called The Shitty First Drafts, which talks about just like drafting, just sort of barfing out all the words, and then you have something. I was talking with a veteran today who uh, uh, was interested in writing uh, uh, some memoir material, which is real popular. People, yeah. veterans want to write about their experiences, right? It's a way of sort of uh, uh, dealing with it, contextualizing it, and also like maybe you sell it and they make a movie or, you know, who knows. But uh, uh, he was interested in, in writing his memoirs, and I told him, man, just look at, read this part of bird by bird shitty first drafts and you'll feel a lot better because you'll recognize that uh, even the very best professional writers of today your stephen kings or you know who, whoever you idolize james patterson uh they all write really crappy first drafts granted their first drafts probably still way better than mine because right. they've stopped making the, the mistake that i'm still making because they've written you know a few million more words than i have at this point uh but uh uh yeah, it's it's uh, it's freeing once you accept and understand that like this doesn't have to be good the first time I'm writing it. Like I'm gonna go back and fix it later and make it good. For now, it just has to come out. So uh, yeah, uh, Bird by Bird and On Writing by Stephen King, both really great. Is that within? You said that was within the book, or is that something? In uh, the, Shitty first drafts is an yeah. essay within Bird by Bird. The her that's Anne Lamott's book about how to be a writer. Okay. Stephen King's book about how to be a writer is called On Writing. On Writing, right. I've heard On Writing a couple of times. And yeah, I figured it was too basic to recommend because everybody knows On Writing, right? So I figured I had to give you an extra one. <laughs> yeah, the sh- I've, I've, I got to look that up, uh, bird, up bird by Bird. So uh, The shitty first drafts, like you could find that online for free all over the place. If you just Google Anne Lamott, okay. uh, shitty yeah. first drafts. I'm going to check it out. Uh, next question, Keith, what's your favorite quote and why? Um, the thing I say all the time, uh, is it is what it is. And I know that's like a super basic vanilla quote, but, uh, uh, I say it and it's, when I say it, it's a way of reminding myself to take sort of the world as, as it really is in that moment. Like what's the reality of the situation and move on from there instead of, uh, getting very sort of spun up and focused around what it isn't, uh, you know, like, why can't it be like this or why couldn't this have happened instead? Uh, it's just sort of like a, not a mantra. That's maybe a little too much, but it's a quote that helps keep uh, keep me grounded in the moment and working on things I could actually impact, change, and improve about my life. So, it is what it is. It is what it is, man. Uh, last question, Keith. Where do you see yourself in a year, five years, or even ten years from now? Yeah, uh, it's hard to say because, like. Three years ago, I wouldn't see myself where I am right now, uh, pre-pandemic stuff. But uh, uh, I, I think part of me has said, even before this, is that uh, uh, planning too far ahead is a fool's game because it's impossible to know like what's going to go what way. But I would hope that um, I'm as happy with my the day-to-day of my life as I am right now. I would hope I'm still uh, writing things I'm passionate about writing, uh, whether it's... Uh, uh, stories about a galaxy far, far away with my Star Wars stuff and other sort of gaming content or uh, telling the stories of, of veterans and other, you know, exceptional individuals uh, 
and delivering those to people who need to hear. Awesome, man. So uh, Keith, before we go, um, where can our audience, where can they follow you and where can they support you? Sure. So um, one place you could go is bunkerlabs.org. And in the next couple of weeks, I think, uh, certainly before the end of the month, we will have a, uh, a blog tab right at the top and you could find all of my Bunker Labs related work there. I think that's the best place for your audience to find me in my work. Um, beyond that, if you're interested in some of the, the geekier things that I do, uh, <laughs> you, could, you could find me on Facebook at, you know, facebook.com, keith.capital um, should be me. So on there, I'll talk about my, uh, uh, whatever sort of geeky projects I have coming up. So. So if you all want to listen or hear about Keith's Star Wars stuff, uh, go to his Facebook, Keith.Capple. Yeah. And then, uh, check out the blog, uh, the upcoming blog on bunker, bunkerlabs.org. So yes, yes. That's awesome. The place. Awesome, Keith. Well, I appreciate the time, man. And uh, hopefully I'll hear from you soon, bro. Take care. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Hey, everyone. Raiden here. I just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And make sure you guys go check out our website, fortist-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortist-fidelis.com. And learn how you can help us support in providing these memorial coins to the families of the fallen. And make sure you guys go follow our social media on Facebook, FRTS, FDLS. Again, that's FRTS, FDLS. And on Instagram and Twitter at FRTS underscore FDLS. Again, that's FRTS underscore FDLS. And make sure you guys go subscribe, review, and leave a comment on our podcast on all the podcast platforms. Till then, take care.